Namaste and welcome to another edition of the Bharat Varta Weekly. I'm Roshan Karyapa. I have with me Abhishek Paul and Nirav Kanodra to run you through the news and events of the week that was. If there was one operating keyword for the week, I guess uh, you could say the word was babudam, right? And we'll talk about a few of these decisions that have been made last week, uh, including the 20% TCS on credit cards, the withdrawal of uh, rupees 2000 notes uh, then sebi's new rules on abnormal gains and so on along with them we'll also talk about the kashmir g20 meeting and the fact that karnataka has a new chief minister elect then the supreme court ruling on delhi government uh, about the legislative and executive powers all of this and more on this bharatvarta weekly uh, nirav did you catch the episode uh, that we put out last week on the yeah, cholas actually it was like a fantastic episode especially for me because i had like a passing mention of like cholas pandyas and pallavas being the kingdoms in south india but i didn't know much i did not know about like the temples at tanjavur and uh, at uh, tiruchirappalli and uh, this is fantastic also like uh, if you see the recent light into history uh, has been from people who are outside the academic historians so it was like an ifs officer who is actually a graduate in english graduate and postgraduate in english literature and then joined the foreign services he happens to be from uh, tiruchirappalli and talking about like the two eras of cholas like the sangam cholas and the later ones so around 200 ce second century ce bce to second century ce as well as around 10th century and uh, there are 1000 year old temples uh, which have been cut out from a single rock and uh, even another thing which was very enlightening was the chola temples are still there because they were made out of stone which were given more permanence and the chola palaces which are made out of brick are no longer there right they've kind of been destroyed so tells you the kind of thought process or the kind of advanced uh, construction ability uh, to be constructing temples with ornate carvings etc and some of the carvings which are there which leave as well as their administrative capabilities digging of lakes building canals and lastly fascinating bit was the chola navies supporting commerce so they traded up to iran uh, maldives lakshadweep under chola control then with the shri vijaya empire which is malaysia and indonesia and trading with china so i think all of it was quite enlightening and uh, it is uh, something specially i think uh, whatever this is a pet peeve for a lot of people but uh, our history books do not uh, devote enough time to these kingdoms right and uh, they are mentioned in passing uh, there is a little more detail on others but yeah so it was fascinating episode one and a half hour and all of it and i is like really worth your time yeah a uh, pretty engaging conversation between uh, varun and jaisundar uh, in fact i mean i'm going to watch ponian selvan the second one uh, this week so that should be interesting as well let's start off with some political news mr sidramaiah has been elected as the leader of the congress legislature party clp and will be the next chief minister of karnataka uh, mr dk shivkumar has been elected as the deputy chief minister Uh, the swearing-in ceremony took place uh, today on May 20th uh, at 12:30 p.m. in Kantirava Stadium, Bangalore, uh, and several opposition leaders attended. And these included uh, the Bihar Chief Minister Mr. Nitish Kumar, Tamil Nadu Chief Minister Mr. M. K. Stalin, and so on. Well, finally, we have the answer to who will be the Chief Minister of Karnataka. I mean, it was an interesting few days, you know, post the election results, uh, right? I mean, uh, Congress had done a fantastic job bringing these two sort of polar opposites. Uh, 
together, right, uh, Mr. Sidramaya and Mr. D.K. Shokumar during the campaign, leading up to the campaign as well. But it was very apparent post the election results that obviously these folks are not going to play nice, right? I mean, uh, there was, uh, you know, some bit of tension and so on. My favorite bit of this whole drama was uh, Mr. D.K. Suresh, who is uh, Mr. Shivkumar's brother, giving an interview and saying, while he's not fully happy, but he will accept this in the interest of the state and the country, right? But yeah, Mr. Sidramaya obviously is a more uh, popular leader than Mr. Shokumar, uh, who, of course, I mean, people count among his virtues, the fact that, you know, he's a strong man and he's able to galvanize the party and get stuff done and so on, uh, right? But Mr. Sidramaya is uh, seen as a people's leader, right? He is the true mass leader from the Congress section, uh, uh, at least, right, in Karnataka. And uh, I suppose this was an expected lines that he would be the chief minister. Uh, we'll have to wait and watch, uh, you know, what happens going forward, right? I mean, some of these understandings are a little fractious sometimes and it can take an adverse turn. But I hope it doesn't, right? I mean, I hope that, you know, we have a strong ruling party in Karnataka for the next five years. I suppose that is what the people have really voted for. Abhishek, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the interesting news which is also going around although which is not confirmed is that there will be a split chief ministership during the five-year term right where mr dk shiv kumar might become the cm midway through the five years uh, i mean obviously which is which has never worked out no, which has never ever worked out in is, karnataka this right? is this is like having trust when you're playing you know in the cricket in the playground and trusting the batting team to you know, fully do their <laughs> part when it comes in the second innings, right? Oftentimes, we have been burnt as kids. So, <laughs> who knows what will happen? But, I mean, a lot of that will also probably uh, depend on how well Karnataka do, uh, Congress does in Karnataka in the 2024 Lok Sabha elections. I mean, I saw one interview where... DK Shiv Kumar said he's targeting about 20 seats for the Congress in 2024. So, yeah, I think interesting times. Let's see how this government performs in the coming months. All right. Uh, in more political news, uh, earlier this week, the Supreme Court ruled that the Delhi government has to quote legislative and executive power over services in the national capital, except those relating to public order, police and land. The court's ruling is a major victory for the Delhi government, which has been battling the centre for control over bureaucracy for years. The centre, however, passed a new ordinance that seeks to nullify the Supreme Court's ruling. The ordinance creates a new statutory body called the National Capital Civil Service Authority or the NCCSA. The NCCSA will be headed by the Lieutenant Governor of Delhi and will have three members, two nominated by the centre and one nominated by the Delhi government. Abhishek, this has been a constant tussle and uh, anytime you know uh, these matters come up, I'm reminded of uh, perhaps one of our first few episodes, right? I think it was episode number three or four where we spoke about Delhi governance. But the problem continues, right? So, yeah, I mean, this was uh, an eight-year-old legal battle between the center and the Delhi government, right? Where uh, in 2015, central government had introduced uh, this, you could say, uh, provision where uh, it said that, you know, the power over services, that is, you know, appointment, transfers, etc. of IS officers uh, would be with the lieutenant gov governor and then the Amadmi party had gone to the courts to challenge it right so it, the case moved through 
the Delhi High Court and to the Supreme Court. There were several several iterations of this in the Supreme Court. You know, there were three member bench, two member bench. Then finally, last week or I think a week uh, on the 12th of May, this verdict came that um, it is the Delhi government which has the power, right? And so essentially, if I were to break down the center's argument, the uh, center was saying that the Delhi government should have all the powers which any other union territory uh, government has. While the uh, Supreme Court eventually went with the argument of the Amadmi Party slash Delhi government, which is that the Delhi government is a unique case. It is not a, while it is not a state, it is also not a regular union territory. And so it has some. Uh, different scope of powers etc and based on that they awarded it with those exceptions which you said right like police public order and so on so finally uh, once this went in favor of Arvind Kejriwal and Amandmi party the center kind of immediately brought in an ordinance which sort of overturns this they have created this three-member committee which basically will have the CM and two other uh, uh, officials right which is the chief secretary and the principal home secretary of the Delhi government so essentially even though the CM of the Delhi government heads the body he can be overruled by these two people and so obviously the opposition parties including Congress and the Amadmi party have called it a sort of draconian move and so on uh, and the chances are this will once again end up in the Supreme Court because the question is, can an ordinance simply overturn uh, Supreme Court uh, rulings? Even if, let's say, that they are able to pass this in the Lok Sabha, Rajya Sabha in the next six months, but still a constitutional question arises, right? And there are previous cases which have dealt with this right basically the point is that if there is a defect so it's like this that the position brought in by the new ordinance should not be totally contrary to what the supreme court judgment uh, says and so again it will be an interesting legal tussle once again the kejriwal government is not a very uh, let's say prudent and good governing administration or government and therefore you know they feel that it needs a lot more checks and balances given the importance of Delhi and the NCT although it probably doesn't make a great case for it in legal terms right I mean you can dislike a government uh, and how they govern but is it strong enough legal grounds right for denying it the powers which the Supreme Court had just granted it a few days back. So it will be interesting to see what are the next steps and how the Supreme Court kind of takes uh, this uh, new development. Right. Uh, on to the hot topic of last week, uh, 
On Thursday, the government announced a 20% TCS on international credit card transactions. The government said the TCS was being introduced to widen the tax base and to curb the use of credit cards for illegal activities. It was later clarified that transactions amounting to more than 7 lakh per annum will be subject to the new TCS rules. Nirav, there has been plenty of brouhaha on this. Uh, obviously, people you know, uh, saying that this will just add needless complication and that it's just uh, tax harassment and so on. Well, yeah, so one is, what I see happening is uh, probably people will spend less by credit cards and spend more by cash. So they'll convert in cash, right? So that is one. Two is, see, the government wants to raise, widen the tax base. And uh, the way to do it, maybe multiple. But like, first of all, we need to see that income tax starts only from rupees 10 lakh onwards right and our per capita gdp is at about two two and a half thousand dollars so it's about two lakh rupees per person so as it is it is expected that given on an average the country is uh, a poor country a low income country or you'd say a lower middle income country uh, our tax to gdp compared to our peers is not too bad we we should see the thing is you are comparing with countries uh, which are already developed countries with $50,000, $60,000 per capita GDP. We are comparing to the US for the wrong reasons, I think. So that should be one. Second is, maybe there could be requirements of, you could have credit card companies or banks who issue credit cards, uh, have the PAN card details, and for say, over 7 lakh, if you are spending, maybe it goes into scrutiny. What it hits, it hits a person who either is probably like a retired uh, salaried employee going on a, a foreign tour for the first time, booking a travel package, two, three lakh rupees, and then uh, for a couple, and then maybe just crossing that over. And then for seven lakhs expenditure, you spend uh, 20% more, 1.4 lakhs, which you can get it back a year or probably two years later, because in the next tax return you file, then by the time you get it back, right? And if you're salaried, your tax is deducted at source anyways, right? So I think this is maybe you have to look at the cost and benefit analysis. And here probably I would lean against the government that uh, there could be other uh, ways to try and broaden the tax net. And this is that maybe 2-3% of the people who are traveling abroad and spending in this much money are avoiding taxes. But to collect that, you're harassing the other 98%, right? So I think... Uh, this is kind of like maybe sometimes the cost of policing this is m more than actually the gain you get from it. But see, finally, tax rules are tax rules. A lot of times, always they say the tax rules are irrational in every place. It is just whatever the tax rules are, obey and move ahead. And I think that is what is going to happen. Maybe what might happen at the margin is people will avoid traveling abroad and maybe travel more domestically. This will particularly hit a lot of IT companies or like companies who are sending consultants on like projects and there they're spending by corporate credit card. So it increases the cost of doing business for a lot of legitimate businesses. And it kind of makes a bit difficult for people who are already avoiding paying taxes. And those guys might just use cash. They might transfer money through other things. Uh, there's always like either like for criminal activities, there could be Hawala networks or other ways you can circumvent, right? Or people will have like an offshore bank account and use that one. But what this does is it makes legitimate activities more expensive. And anyways, the people who are paying taxes are 
it is just you are trying and paying something upfront and getting the credit back later which probably is a bit too much even the 7 lakh threshold what they have mentioned is probably good enough for like a lot large chunk of the people but then it is the big taxpayers who are maybe spending more than that right it also impacts the folks who are going there for yes. education and yes, so on yes the other one the other one is people. people going in for education makes their education 20% more expensive when you take like a loan for education i think the college fees are there but like living expenses and in some of the western countries where uh, hostel accommodation isn't subsidized like the way it is in india and the bureaucrats are thinking more from an indian lens but uh, sometimes off campus education uh, accommodation is actually cheaper you could share with people an apartment and like live in a cheaper manner in such cases uh, those things are not covered and those living expenses will be subject to uh, all of this uh, 20% additional tax and this is just i would say in my opinion without studying it too much in detail i feel that the cost to the society is more than the benefit you get there are other ways of uh, doing it we have a very good pan system Uh, have a pan number maybe scrutinize their other accounts etc and i think that is a better way but uh, it is what it is and uh, if tax rules are such you have to comply with the law of the land and uh, just do it that way yeah i completely agree with what you're saying on to some geopolitics later this week india is hosting a g20 meeting set in kashmir and will focus on promoting tourism in kashmir by highlighting its natural beauty and cultural heritage The UN's SR or the Special Rapporteur commented against the meeting and uh, claimed that India was using G20 as a seal of approval to normalize the situation in Kashmir. Uh, the Indian mission to the UN called out the SR's comments and said it was irresponsible and violated the code of conduct. China has also voiced its firm opposition to the move and has said it will not be attending the meetings held in any disputed region. Abhishek, what is uh, really happening here? Yeah, I mean, as part of India's presidency of the G20 this year, various events and meetings are taking place throughout India all through 2023, and obviously, India is trying to use this occasion as a uh, way of signaling normalcy in Kashmir and also promoting tourism in Kashmir. Right? Basically, a few countries have decided not to come. I mean. China has been vocal about it in terms of saying they do not or will not attend because they feel uh, it's a disputed area while other countries like Turkey and Saudi Arabia have just chosen not to register for this event and send their delegates so as of now it seems about 60 odd delegates uh, are expected to turn up earlier it was around 100 who were expected Uh, obviously there is lot of security in and around the place where this is going to take place right so military paramilitary police forces are all there in large numbers uh, in this week so hoping that the event goes through uh, normally and peacefully so let's hope for that All right. The RBI on May 19th announced that it is withdrawing rupees 2000 notes from circulation. The RBI has instructed banks to stop issuing these notes, but uh, they will still be legal tender until September 30th, 2023. 
to quote in pursuance of the clean note policy of the reserve bank of india it has been decided to withdraw the rupees 2000 denomination bank notes from circulation the rbi said well i mean the 2000 notes came into circulation sometime post demonetization uh, right when uh, large large amounts of money could be exchanged when the notes were in short supply uh, as of now i think you know you would have about 10% of the total notes in circulation are 2000 rupee notes uh, so while some folks have called it a second sort of a demonetization i think the difference is stark actually right and there is four months for people to actually exchange these notes now there are many reasons why i think uh, uh, this has been done one of the prime reasons uh, people say is that uh, over 60% of the fake currency that is found is uh, you know in 2000 rupee notes right as is expected which is logical right and also that i think 500 and 100 you know 1000 rupee notes will be introduced uh, in greater numbers to sort of counter this right nirav what is this clean note policy and uh, you know i suppose this was inevitable at some point of time right uh, do you see like a major drawback no, from so this see, even the experiment of demonetization it's so or not a lot of gain or the eventual number what they expected right and it created a little bit of friction for a lot of people involved in between so i think similarly uh, yes uh, you could say that there are a lot of people who have either like a it's 1.6% of the notes outstanding in number and 10% in value or 10 point something percent in value and it is valid till 30th september probably it will continue to be legal tender the other thing is that 20000 rupees per day per person can be exchanged without any question asked etc so i think this one it's just creating a lot more hassle for a lot of people i think yes maybe uh, if there are a lot of fake currencies in circulation and all of that could be a problem that is something to think about but we are getting into a phase either within the government or within the bureaucracy or within the reserve bank where uh, maybe the cost of doing things is not considered to versus the benefit i think sometimes the cost of catching all fake notes could be much higher than like living sadly with like a few fake notes in circulation and maybe the to catch it other methods or something should be used this kind of creates uncertainty in people's mind it creates a lot of other sort of issues which is actually detrimental to growth in the long term what you want is like a stability in policy a stability in like so people can take risk uh, think a longer term and not be hassled by these small issues again the rule of the land is the rule of the land so whatever you have you have to uh, deal with it uh, there is a little more clarity needed that whether will it be legal tender post 30th of september or no people have enough time to either deposit in their bank accounts or change it and but all of these things actually i feel creates a little more uncertainty for people uh, even demonetization as an experiment there are various things to say but i don't think it achieved what was the stated objectives maybe there were some unstated objectives etc and maybe a lot of times in india they say right good economics is not good politics and good politics could be in bad economics so maybe this is a signal uh, to show that oh we are against black money or we are against corruption and a large uh, chunk of the voter base uh, buys into it and then maybe it is that but i would still say that these could be avoided or could be better designed uh, i am not too sure so here again there are some benefits you've outlined them and there are some costs there is friction in the system there's a little bit of uncertainty and uh, there are things like 
say somebody wants to you know uh, a small harmless bet between friends and you don't want to put it up on upi or somebody who smokes a cigarette or something of that sort doesn't want it to come out on upi for say the person's spouse to know yeah while it is legal i'm not saying that you should do one thing or another cash gives you anonymity cash gives you a little bit of anonymity to do things and we live in a free society so i think uh, a few of those things it is nobody else's business and uh, this kind of petty cash uh, transactions will remain they do in all countries we do not we need not be in a place where everything is mentioned online etc right or everything has to have a record and a ledger anyway that is there could be criminal activities which i don't want to tell other people if i bunk school or if i bunk college and go watch a movie if i would uh, pay cash it is anonymous but if i paid by upi maybe my parents could see the statement and see it right and so yeah exactly cash has some value and uh, we don't want uh, traceability so i am not into like the 100% uh, using upi cash has its value and maybe a little bit of uncertainty could be avoided uh, without all these like kind of drastic changes uh, but again whatever the laws are passed we all have to follow rules of the land and comply by it we may not like them but uh, we have to live with it and i don't know uh, maybe better sense prevails uh, see the people taking the decisions they see things from a different angle maybe i am seeing at things from like my own angle right and uh, so we all have our vantage points we have all our viewpoints and biases uh, but this is like another move which probably i would not be very happy for like i wouldn't be rooting for it yeah i think uh, you know couple of points to add right one is that uh, sometimes good things especially i think you know the really good things i mean it might cause inconvenience in the short term but that inconvenience is coming at a very strategic time for the government right i mean ahead of the 2024 elections so that is something i suppose they had to be a little mindful of right and the second thing is i you know the messaging and communication has been yes. rather poor yes. uh, right i mean uh, there is little clarification on you know as you mentioned whether this will be legal tender beyond september 30th uh right and if it is then why is the september 30th deadline declared so on and so forth i think you know uh, people supporters of the government have been clarifying these various things on twitter and social media and uh, and whatever but leaving so many things to open to interpretation just uh, hurts the cause i suppose so yeah i think one thing is there like one very valid criticism like one very valid reason could be that either like pre the election there could be like a lot of fake notes being pumped in by i don't know like anti national forces or people say pakistan or isi or whatever and if that is the case yes then absolutely as in uh, that is there but otherwise i think if we could stop them coming in or we could have like better controls elsewhere and i think keep life normally uh, going on uh, that would be better i think there are probably better ways i don't know if there are easier ways but yeah so exactly all right uh, one more set of rules for the week SEBI has a bunch of new rules on what it calls abnormal gains. The new rules define abnormal gains as gains that are disproportionate to the risk involved in the investment. Although the rules do not trigger an investigation, any entity making these abnormal gains uh, is deemed an offender and is required to offer satisfactory reasoning for making the gains. Uh, the new rules give SEBI the power to investigate and take action against investors who make abnormal gains through illegal or fraudulent means. need of another set of rules who is this uh, supposed to impact well, yeah, and so, you know see, i would say the easiest way of making abnormal gains is either either insider trading 
where uh, people know material non public information uh, like companies results before the results are going to be announced uh, somebody trades either from the company management or it gets leaked out and something else right so uh, those things and there are rules against it there are rules against insider trading then there are a lot of these brokers who are executing orders on behalf of clients and sometimes you know like some big customer is putting a big order then it's okay okay let me follow or let me uh, front running that you put your order before so say you know a customer is giving you an order to buy 10 crores worth of certain shares you say you know what let me buy 10 lakh worth of shares from my own account right and these brokers a lot of these brokers do proprietary trading the employees do proprietary trading on their own personal account versus or the companies so but there are rules against front running there are rules against trading on insider information there are rules for all of these kind of matters right uh, market manipulation as well where like a few people come together uh, rig the uh, stock especially in like low volume stocks some of the uh, small caps and or either like spreading rumors that oh this company has some uh, something new or probably will be acquired by someone or has a new formula new technology for like say pharma companies that happens and there's going to be like a huge gain suddenly right so there are existing rules and there is a framework to prosecute people again the other one is where people have uh, recently there's a lot of talk about high frequency trading where people are trading on like algorithms and trading on like very uh, millisecond worth of like time frames and they make huge amount of returns now is it because they have a technological edge that they're doing it or like trading between like the futures and the underlying stock itself if one has moved the other moves like half a second late and you try and capture that spread so there are legitimate ways of making money there are some illegal ways and there are rules against that so what sebi has done is they have said suspicious trading activity and when they feel that somebody is making a very large profits compared to the capital employed uh, they will be asked or uh, that do they have to explanation that did they have any material non public information or they'll have to give out all their records uh, again here what has happened is say somebody does a lot of research on a company and say which is all say in public domain and uh, you take some risk and you think okay the company is going to have good results or bad results and then you either go long or short the stock and then suddenly you'll make a lot of money right based on that so uh, say there are people who actually do footwork and go around and and then if they make money uh, then it is not because they're doing anything illegal right and you can make abnormal returns if you put in some sort of hard work you put in some intelligence and so but then you have to explain yourself so one thing again i want to criticize is uh, making abnormal profits is assumed to be you're guilty and you have to show your innocence right that one is a bad thing probably if you are uh, you are subject to like filing your returns i think when you have uh, as a financial uh, securities firm or like large volume traders who are like uh, day trading these kind of firms are already subject to like a higher level of audit etc right and they have higher compliance uh, requirements yes there are some bad players there are some people who trade on all of these things as i mentioned there are people who trade on insider information there are people who front run customer orders uh, there are people who try to manipulate markets by ganging up uh, 
you know, if you want to see in pop culture, Scam 1992 is an example of that, right? So there are some bad actors, but do you say that everybody who kind of makes a big gain is a bad actor or has to prove that they are not a bad actor? So uh, the problem is where there's a blanket assumption that if you make abnormal trading gains, maybe you have done something wrong. And I think this, the impact probably what might happen is that people might pull away capital or resources from uh, say like a lot of broking companies, they might just do pure broking and they might reduce market making activities or proprietary risk taking activities, which will actually reduce the liquidity in local markets. And the time each uh, retail investor buys or sells, bid and offer spread will widen, right? But that nobody really counts the hidden cost uh, cost this way, right? So again, there is a cost, there is some benefit and is the benefit greater than the cost? Uh, maybe I'm not convinced. Again, the people at SEBI, the people at the regulators, the finance ministry, they're all smart people. They see things at uh, from a different vantage point, which I don't. And so maybe they see something, but uh, from my vantage point, my viewpoint, it is probably a bit too draconian, a bit too strict. Uh, they could uh, do like an additional audit or they could ask for like greater uh, disclosure requirements. Uh, but like this one is probably a bit too harsh. Uh, question for Nirav, like, do, have you seen any similar kind of rules in other countries like the US or Singapore, etc. So, see, US has very strict rules that once you're tried for insider trading and all of those things, a lot of people have gone to prison, right? Uh, Raj Ratnam or like uh, Rajat Gupta. Rajat Gupta did not make any personal gain, but he passed on insider information. He went to prison. So what you have is, if you are caught, the laws are very strict, but you're not guilty and, and you have to prove your innocence. So I think that is one I want to put out as a differentiating factor. And uh, second thing is in like certain jurisdictions, you have a lot more, you would say lighter touch regulations on capital and like financial hubs, you'd say like Singapore, uh, Dubai, London, etc. are there. But so that is why they kind of attract capital from all over the world. So I would say like, say financial hubs like Singapore, uh, they've done a very good job of having good, efficient regulation, etc. cetera, uh, having slightly lighter touch regulation, which attracts capital by lower taxes, easier regulation. It makes ease of doing business in financial services easier. And that is why capital moves in here more easily. So I think this is what you need to try and think that instead of finding and trying to tax everyone and trying to raise the tax base on the existing ones, if the whole cake can be grown, if the whole pie can be grown. Uh, but again, as in, I'm like one individual speaking in my own individual capacity, not my employers or not anyone else. And obviously the regulator see it at, at, as a different vantage point. But uh, I would be say at a personal level, I would be displeased. But again, with as with all rules, you have to follow all the rules and uh, the people who are doing it will follow. So I think that will happen. It's just like, uh, it's a little more compliance costs for everyone. Yeah, I suppose to catch that exception, I mean, a larger majority of people have to uh, inconvenience themselves. I mean, and this is true for wherever it is, right? I mean, whether you talk economy or airport, airport security or whatever it is, that is uh, uh, how these laws work. 
Uh, well, with that, we come to the end of the Bharat Vartha Weekly. We have a couple of very interesting episodes coming up uh, in the Velina's talk series. We have one with uh, Peter Zihan and also another conversation with Dimitri Bechev. Uh, both of these uh, will be out sometime next week. Uh, do stay tuned. Uh, if you like our content, don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite platforms. Uh, if you're new to the podcast and you've stayed along for uh, for the ride, uh, follow us, uh, subscribe to us on your favorite platforms, and uh, you know you will get all of the politics, policy, and uh, culture episodes that we put out every week. Until then, from Abhishek, Nirav, and myself, thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe, take care, and Jai Hind.